Well, uh, as, as Luke said, my name is Mark Speeder. I'm lead pastor here at Antioch Fullerton. Uh, if you're new here, want to welcome you. Uh, would, would love to personally meet you. I'll be at the Connect booth right after uh, the service ends. Would love to, to say hi to you. But as, as Luke said, we are continuing a series called All In. And what does it mean to be a people who go all in on the mission of God. And I want to look at a, a story that some of you guys might be familiar with in Mark chapter 2. It's the lowering of the paralytic. Now, um, just as we kind of prepare to read this story, I know that some of us that have been around maybe church while we've heard this, but um, I, w- I want to invite you to read this with fresh, fresh eyes. And I want to not only invite you to step into the context, and I'll help you take it into context uh, that they were in, but even what does this look like or mean today? Because we live in a time and place where there is both great practical need and great spiritual need. And so I just want to say that uh, just although we're in a different context, just like they were here, uh, we live in a time where we need to see Jesus breaking through just like he did here because of the great spiritual and practical needs around us in our lives. So let's read Mark chapter 2. We're going to read in verse 1 through 12. When he returned from Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And uh, they removed the roof above him. Here we go. Where am I at? They removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus Perceiving in his spirit, they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, uh, rise, take your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have, we never saw anything like this. Now, man, what a uh, powerful story here. I want you to kind of Sit and not just kind of let this go, the Bible story that maybe you've heard before over your heads. But I want you to sit in this for a second. The people had been hearing these great works that Jesus had been doing. There was an excitement. There was an expectation that God was going to move. And so they gathered together in a house. There was probably a line outside of people waiting to get in. And if you're in that house, you're cramped. People are breathing on your neck. You know, it's probably sweaty. You're probably smelling other people's body odor. You know what I'm saying? Some of you guys have been in like you're in a concert or something like that. And it's like, uh, you're all getting pressed. But everyone wanted to be there. They, they were able to overlook all that because... They wanted to be around Jesus because they heard what he had been doing. There was a desperation, a leaning in to see and experience Jesus. Now, in the meanwhile, there's a paralytic in town. And in those days, uh, paralytics were, were seen as second-class people. It was often believed that they were paralytic because of sin in their life. 
And so they were seen as, as second-class people, and, and many people would, uh, especially religious leaders, want to be uh, separated from them because they were the set-apart ones as religious leaders. So they probably want to be separated from them, and, and this paralytic, though, has some friends. Now, we don't know how long this paralytic was paralyzed, nor do we know how long these people were friends with him. Maybe they were friends before he was paralyzed and they stayed friends with him through it. Maybe they made friends with him uh, after he was paralyzed. Maybe they're childhood friends, maybe they're recent friends. But either way, these friends defied cultural norms by stepping in and befriending one who was seen as a second-class person. And you can imagine being their friends, they saw day in and day out the pain that their friend was going through. The relational pain, the rejection, the the stares, the talk of the town. They saw the physical pain he might have been in or the just inability to do basic human things. And instead of hardening their heart, instead of turning their cheek, they allowed their hearts to have compassion. And so knowing that the room was full, they banded together. They somehow brought him up on the roof. And all of a sudden, you know, these people who are in this great message, a great word by Jesus, the service gets disrupted. And people are looking around, well, what, what is that? Did something just fall? What, where, what's going on, you know? Jesus pauses. There's tension in the room, and suddenly we got four smiling faces looking down, and this this thing kind of awkwardly coming down, right? These weren't professionals. These weren't the concert, you know, lowering of uh, what's-her-name that came in in the Super Bowl uh, (laughs) during a halftime show. This was unprofessional people putting a jerry-rig thing together. It's probably swinging back and forth. People are probably like, oh, oh, man, it is swinging a little to the left, a little to the right. He might fall on me. We don't know what's going on. There's tension in the room. The religious leaders are offended. The crowd is wondering what's going on. The friends are talking together. They say, no, to the left. You loosen up. I'll go here. But they're smiling. Jesus' heart is open with compassion. And Jesus says something that we'll talk about in a minute that offends the religious leaders. He forgives him of his sin. And then a miracle happens. He says to the paralytic to rise up and walk. That not only he's been forgiven of his sin. Now, it reminds you that many people probably saw him as a sinner because he was paralyzed. And people assumed that that was his sin. And so, not only was this stigma, this societal stigma removed from him, but he was healed. And the response was a spontaneous time of worship. The people all praised God. They were amazed. They broke out in worship. They broke out in shouts of yelling and praise. And up there are the four smiling friends looking down, probably like goons, just like, this is cool, you know? God moved today, and we are a little part of it. And there goes our friend up walking through the Red Sea, walking on out. What a story. What a story of God's compassion in the midst of human need. What a story of friends' compassion. What a story of willingness for a paralytic to risk. Being rejected to risk putting himself out there for Jesus. What a story of a number of people willing to say whatever it takes. We will see God's restoration intersect with human need. And that's what I want to look at today is what does it mean to be a whatever-it-takes people? And so what I want to do, because there's a number of different people in this story, as I was even alluding to, I want to at different times 
take my points and, and sit in the perspective, take my points from and sit in the perspective of some different people here in this story. And I want to start by the two people that the story is centered around, Jesus and the paralytic. And what we learn here is that we have a Savior who is in the business of restoring broken people. That's good news. That's good news for you and me, because I fit in this category. But that's also good news for the people in our lives. It's good news when I read the news and the headlines, this is good news. That we have a God that what he did here has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, you can imagine, uh, there was an expectation that led them and led the paralytic to even be willing to try this crazy thing. You see, in Mark chapter 1, before this, they must have heard what would have been happening in the chapter before. Not because they read the New Testament, because they didn't have it yet, but because word was spreading. He was this man, Jesus, who was claiming to be the Messiah. And, and he came and he was casting demons out of people and they were set free in an instant. The sick were being healed. There was so much buzz that Jesus would wake up and there's a crowd just waiting for him outside. And Jesus is going from town to town. And not only that, just before this, Jesus had healed a leper. Now, if you know what leprosy is, a skin-eating disease. If you put your hand in someone who's in advanced, on someone who's in the advanced stages of leprosy, your hand sinks into their body. People didn't want to be around lepers. It was seen as unclean. And Jesus didn't run from uncleanness. He ran into it and he transformed it. The very people that were most ashamed in society and, 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 and downcast, Jesus ran too. And the paralytic must have thought, and the friends must have thought, if he can do it for the leper, he can do it for me. He can do it for my friend. And I just want to say, just like he was healing and delivering then, he still does it today. I have the privilege being uh, in, you know, and really we have the privilege of being a part of a larger network where God is doing things around the world. I hear incredible things that God is doing around the world. Stories, you know, friends of ours uh, in certain countries in, uh, in Asia that I can't even name because I don't want to risk their, their safety, going into villages and, and people getting healed in the villages and whole villages coming to Jesus because the witch doctors couldn't do it and the, medical, the, the medicine people couldn't do it and, and, and the Jesus people came and God's kingdom came and, and they got healed and, and, and people would come to Jesus or in countries uh, like Iran, which we don't have any Antioch people in there, but hearing stories that that's one of the fastest growing churches in the world yeah. in a place like Iran where you can get killed for your faith. God is moving, and God is moving here. Guys, there's, uh, I could share numerous stories of, of people being set free or the sick being healed, even from this last Sunday. So we're going to have someone share today, and they couldn't make it. If someone that got healed powerfully, some nerve uh, damage that was done in their body got healed them instantaneously. So maybe we'll hear about that in the coming week or two. They couldn't make it today. Jesus is moving. So their faith was high in this story. And our faith ought to be high because Jesus is moving. And so naturally, they're coming in, a paralytic, and they're thinking, Jesus is going to heal him right away. But Jesus says something that's a little unexpected. What does he say first? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, first of all, this is unexpected in two ways. Number one, he addressed him as son. This is just endearing heart language that Jesus is speaking to this person that people look down on in society. Jesus calls him son. There's only one other recorded time that Jesus used this type of language to someone. That was with the woman of the issue of bleeding, who was also looked down upon. He called her daughter. And so Jesus, this man's being lowered down. The religious leaders are judging him. And Jesus loves him. 
I don't know where it feels like you might be a paralytic in your life. Where it feels like you are untouchable or people, you know, you don't know the way forward of healing and restoration. But I believe Jesus would look at you and say, my son or my daughter, I love you. And I'm not giving up on you because you're mine. I love you. That's his heart for you. That's a picture of his heart. And we know that God, Jesus is the exact representation of God. So you want to know what God feels about you and your weakness? That. Then he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, the guy's paralytic. (laughs) So he wasn't coming to have his sins forgiven, or at least probably I can assume that. He was coming to get healed. That'd be like my son coming with a football and said, Dad, I can't wait. Let's play some football. And I go, oh, great. And I go grab a soccer ball and I start kicking it to him. You know, and he's like, what? (laughs) Wrong sport, Dad. You know, I brought the football out to play some football. You know, I said, okay, well, let's let's play some soccer here. Um, So they're probably feeling like that. Like, you know, these people lowering him. Like, okay, well, that's good, Jesus, but a little to the right, you know. Uh, Can we get some healing here as well? But what was Jesus doing? Because I believe he knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus was addressing, addressing his greatest need first. We will have problems and suffering in this world. We will have pain. We will have sickness. We will have relational brokenness. We will have fears. Guys, and these are symptoms of a broken world marred by sin. And these are reminders that we're not home yet. And this earth is temporary. And this life is short. And if we know Jesus, one day we'll see him face to face and be fully healed. Now, I believe Jesus can break in and heal the sick and set captives free and mend relationships, and I believe that's part of the kingdom coming. But those aren't our first and ultimate need. You see, our ultimate need is that the root of our suffering and the root of our sin or the root of our problems and pain is taken care of, and that is sin. Our ultimate need is that our sin is forgiven. The power of sin over our life is broken and our hearts are made right with God. Because Proverbs says that from the overflow of our heart, everything else flows. And so God knows if he can come get our heart right and set our hearts free, then our life can also begin to align with him. But we are made for a relationship with him. And until we are in relationship with him, we can get healed physically all we want, but we're going to miss the main thing. And so Jesus kindly went to the main thing first and said, let me give you a new heart. Let me forgive you and give you a new story. And beyond that, Jesus was kind enough to not only forgive him of his sin, which maybe some of us need that today. Maybe some of us feel like the paralytic today and we need a new start. We need forgiveness. And that's good news for us today. But Jesus was kind enough not just to forgive his sin. Jesus healed him, as we've already seen, we already looked at. We have a God that cares about our ultimate needs and our practical needs. He cares about our, uh, our eternal life with him and being right with God. And he cares about helping us find life and that eternal life invading our life in this world as well. Now, when we look at this story, there's an obvious gap between here you have Jesus who can do the impossible and a paralytic. There's no space. He can't get around. Well, who filled that gap? Four friends did. And if we look at at statistics, over 90% of people, and if I took a poll in this room, over 90% of people came to Jesus 
at least in part because of the influence of relationships in our lives. And here's another example of that. I don't know if he could have gotten to Jesus. Now, I'm sure God's sovereign. He could have worked it out, right? But he chooses to use people statistically again and again and again to bring the hurting and the broken to the one who mends broken lives. And so what do we learn from the four friends is that God partners with whatever it takes kind of people to restore lives. We have a savior that restores lives, but how God goes about restoring lives is typically using people like you and me who are willing to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Now, if we look back at how God moves historically, how the kingdom breaks forth in the world throughout history, is typically by God moving in the hearts of people like you and me and them having a whatever-it-takes response. I could tell you stories of people like Hudson Taylor or people who are pioneer missionaries to lands where the gospel had not yet even barely been shared. People um, like C.T. Studd, who was uh, a wealthy person in English, and I'm sorry, a wealthy person in England, and laid aside his riches and his wealth to say, uh, and to band together with some friends to say, whatever it takes, we're going to give our lives to getting the gospel around the world. I could share stories again and again of people who gave their lives and actually were martyred to say, whatever it takes. God uses whatever it takes people, but I could also use a lot of stories and tell you stories of small sacrifices of people that maybe we don't hear their names of, who were also a part of getting the good news and getting people to Jesus all throughout church history. I believe when we get to heaven, guys, we are going to see, you know, millions of people like these four friends whose names we've never heard of, just like we didn't hear, we don't know the names of these four friends, who played a small role or a big role, but had a whatever-it-takes attitude to bring people who also has names we didn't know of to Jesus. And I believe God's invitation for us is to join the hall of faith of people who've gone before us and join the hall of faith to be whatever-it-takes people like these four friends. I believe God is raising up in Antioch Fullerton a whatever-it-takes kind of church. Now, I want to look at four lessons from these four friends. I'm going to move through briefly on being whatever it takes kind of people. Number one, they were convinced. They were convinced that their friend's greatest need was Jesus. Now, again, we don't need to hyper-spiritualize and say it's either Jesus or practical stuff. You know, I think God, like we've just looked at, is into getting our hearts right with him, but also breaking into our practical lives. I don't, we don't have to pick one or the other, but they were convinced and had faith that if they just got him to Jesus, God could sort out his brokenness and his life and his pain. <clears throat> Their faith in Jesus was big. They didn't have to step in and solve all the problems. They, solved. they just presented him to Jesus. They said, hey, here you go. Got a pallet and a person. Have your way, God. <clears throat> have, have, have your way. <clears throat> and I wonder if we believe for the people in our lives, if their greatest need really is Jesus. Because... <clears throat> We're not always in pain and screaming for Jesus to help us. And same with people in our lives, right? Just like when we go to the doctor, sometimes the doctor says, hey, something's wrong and you need to take care of it. Sometimes we're like, I feel great. What are you talking about? You're just telling me stuff to whatever. We need to be convinced that 
People's greatest need is being reconnected with the creator, the one that knows them, the one that has a plan for their life. We can tell them what we think they should do all day long, but we need to ultimately reconnect them back to the heavenly father, the one that they're made to be in a relationship with, the one that made them, right? They were convinced that his greatest need was Jesus. And I want to ask us, are we convinced when we look at culture around us, the greatest need is not a politician, Although, let's be involved politically, right? The greatest need is not a better whatever system. Although, let's help improve the systems in our world, right? We have to believe that the greatest need is ultimately God's kingdom to break forth in all its various forms that it does. Secondly, so first they were convinced. Secondly, they were compassionately committed. They were committed to doing whatever it takes in whatever was in their power to do it. I bet the paralytic was glad that after they realized it was full, they didn't say, sorry, bro, it's full. <laughs> Let's go uh, grab some food, dude, you know? <laughs> I bet he was super glad, and, and I'm glad because it wouldn't even been, we wouldn't even have heard, had this story in Scripture. And also a spontaneous worship session might not have broken out right? This praise to the glory of God may not have never happened if they weren't compassionately committed. You see, they had allowed themselves to be burdened. We talked about it a week or two ago that compassion means to suffer with. They allowed themselves to suffer with their friend, and they committed themselves to say, hey, we, we may not be God, but we're going to do whatever it takes to see this problem taken care of. You see, committed people aren't deterred by roadblocks. Committed people say, I get desperate enough to figure it out. And number three, they were creative. You see, desperate commitment leads to creativity. And I don't know about a time that maybe in your life you had to get creative. Maybe that's been your finances. <laughs> Lord, we got to get here. We'll do whatever it takes, you know, to get here. We got to <laughs> help us out, Lord, here, right? I, maybe it was uh, getting breakthrough in an area of your life. Maybe it was a home renovation process, right? Uh, <clears throat> in life, we hit roadblocks. And in life, when we hit those roadblocks, we either have an opportunity to tap out or to get creative and start thinking of plan B, C, D, E, etc. right? <clears throat> so these guys got creative. <clears throat> I want you to, yeah, I, I don't know what the backstory was here, but there's a lot of really good backstory in this text. I don't know if you picked that up. Uh, but just picture this. They're, they're sitting around, they're saying, okay, it's, it's full. <clears throat> so they're like, how are we going to help our buddy? They're like, should we crowd surf him? Maybe that's not best. I don't know. Can we drop them? No, maybe that's not best, you know. Uh, can we yell really loudly? Jesus, over here, right? Uh, it might be so packed, maybe Jesus can't even get through. Dude, what if we went up in the roof? And lowered him through the roof. Bro, how are we going to do that? We're just going to like bust up this guy's roof? This family that lives there? We're just going to bust up their roof? Dude, we've been believing for this guy for years. He needs help. Shouldn't we be willing to get a little outside the box and kind of, you know, whatever it takes? All right, all right, let's, let's try it out. I mean, this guy's, this guy's in pain. He's dying. We, he needs some help. All right, all right, let's do it. I love the creativity. And I want to invite us to be desperate enough for the people in our lives who maybe hopefully were convinced need a breakthrough of a loving Savior and to be forgiveness and to experience God's kingdom and eternal life in their life, that we would sit around and get creative, scheming up ideas of how to bring people in need and hurting people into to Jesus. 
we were bringing this before our kids. We didn't tell them we're preaching on this, but we're just kind of like, hey, so let's be praying for our friends. What would it take? And, and, and so the kids got uh, creative, and they're like, what if we packed our van so full that we had to sit on the floor so that our guests <clears throat> could sit on the seats and we were like a church van. <laughs> and they got all excited about this week and guess what? Numerous of their friends are here. And they came to church in a church van this morning. Hey <clears throat> man, it's priceless as a parent to see something light up in your kids and it's like all of a sudden like, oh, our friendships aren't just about me feeling good. Our friendships are, you know, friends. But what if our life was about something greater than just going through the motions? And what if we we're a part of a greater rescue mission that sent Jesus to the earth and will ultimately send Jesus back again? What if we were a part of that rescue mission? What if we could repurpose the things we had, like our van or whatever, you know, to be a part of this rescue mission? We could use and look around and say, well, what do we have? And how can we use that for God's kingdom they got excited. Their boring day, which can tend to be a little self-centered, you know, uh, all of a sudden was elevated into something so much greater, and God is moving. Guess what? That's also caused us to have some conversations with some parents, which have been really sweet and really rich and really great. So I don't know how it might look to be creative for you guys, and I'd love to hear some ideas, by the way. So that's a little assignment for you to go get desperately creative, you know, to, to bring help and care and love to people in our lives. Uh, but I, I can't tell you what it, what it looks like, but I can tell you some things that we are doing as a church to kind of create a landing strip so that when the, you know, the mat or whatever is lowered down into our church, we want to be a people who are willing to, uh, you know, be kind of prepared to care and just like Jesus did, meet people where they're at. That's been a, a conversation for us as a, a church uh, leadership team at times. It's just like, man, I've just been burdened personally reading through the Gospels that Jesus, he taught the word and that ought to be central and he, he, he brought the kingdom, but then he, and he, he trained leaders and disciples and that's central, but then he also was just compassionately engaged with the hurting and the broken and created environments where they could come and be healed, restored, and then even possibly made disciples. And so some ways we're doing that. Number one, I'm stoked about our college ministry starting up uh, again. You know, we, with COVID and different things, just um, it's been a unique season. So college ministry starting back up. And man, I, I'm excited for this church to be a landing strip for the next generation to meet Jesus. Can we make some space for the next generation to meet Jesus and to, to be discipled? I'm excited about that. Um, a number of, I know, I know different ministries. You know, we have our, our grace group, our mental health group starting back up. And we'd love to see more groups like that that are unique and specialty groups helping to reach and impact people with unique needs. But beyond that, our desire is that um, you don't feel alone if you're to, you know, bring a friend or someone to church, but that you would know that we as a church and church leadership has your back, that we want to, like Jesus, not just throw people into a system or say, well, you just got to get into a group and hope that works for you. And I don't really care what's going on in your life. No, we want to know how can we best with what we're doing as a church, meet people where they're at. And so something we're uh, trying to build is that our processes are, are, Obviously, Jesus-centered, but people-centered, and not just cog-in-the-wheel-centered. So, for example, if you're to fill out a Connect card, here's, here's the questions that, that um, we're, we're um, giving people an option to check, you know. I, I want to learn more about Antioch. Maybe you're bringing someone that just, they have questions. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for pastoral care. If someone's hurting and asking for help, we don't want to just send them through a system and find out like three months later that they just needed a conversation with someone who was either a pastor or a specialist 
or a loving just life group leader, whatever. We want to know so like Jesus, we can meet people where they're at. I'm looking for discipleship. I want to grow in my faith, right? I'm looking for a church, new church home community. I'm curious about Jesus. I got questions. I'm not ready to commit. I'm just kicking the tire with Jesus here, you know? Uh, I could keep going on this list, but we're wanting to, just like Jesus did in this moment, discern what the need is in a moment and kind of be a, a community of people who best care for people just like Jesus does. And so this is super practical, but just letting you know that as you do what you need to do on your end to be and reach people and love people like Jesus called you to, we're going to do what we can on our end. And, and, and how you can best partner with us is, is, is working with us. In one way, if someone comes on Sunday, uh, we have a connect booth over there. I know this is super practical. A connect booth over there. And um, one simple way is to say, hey, you know, I already know you and we can walk this out and I can help you whatever. But we'd love to connect with people as well. So it's not just on you. So you can have them fill out a connect thing so that we can work with you to discern how to best care for people. Um, we got new guest gifts for people. We got groups, different kind of groups, all kinds of different stuff. Uh, and maybe you recognize with some people that you're reaching a, a need that's not yet being met in our church, and maybe God will call you to be a part of helping start that. I don't know. So keep us updated. Let us know how we can partner with you, which brings in my last piece of the friends. They worked together as a team. They collaborated. So the friends were convinced they were compassionately committed, they were creative, and they were collaborative, keeping in the C department. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> they worked together as a team. I just want to picture um, the conversation to keep playing out with the friends, like, okay, let's lower them to the roof. They're like, how are we going to do that, dude? You know? Uh, come on. Like, well, I, I got some ropes. I only got three, though. Well, that's not, you know, I got a fourth rope. Okay, cool. Well, I got a mat. You know, we can, it's pretty sturdy. Let's read. I got some boards. Let's reinforce it on the bottom. Cool. Let's do it. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. You go get the ropes. You get the board. You get the mat. You get the extra rope. Let's get an extra rope just to be sure so we don't drop our friend, you know, and he falls. Let's collaborate together as a team. And, and all of us, let's be praying. You know, <laughs> I love it. It's teamwork. Now, um, if you know just the sports world that no one or no team wins with just one superstar, you need a team. In the same way, even with solo sports, if you got Tiger Woods out there, you better believe Tiger Woods has a whole team of people having his back. He's got physical trainers. He's got skill coaches. He's got... Uh, supportive people in his life. I know many professional you know, athletes have a supportive spouse, family, kids, whatever. Um, everybody is sacrificing <clears throat> so that someone can uh, excel, whatever. And that's, that's teamwork. And so same thing with us. Like I just alluded to, we want to work with you to make this a place where people can come and encounter Jesus and not just get saved or meet Jesus, but can experience ongoing salvation and being set free and experiencing transformation in their lives. So who's, who's your team? Obviously, we want to partner with you, but maybe it's your life group. Maybe it's um, some people around you. Who's the team of people believing with you in the things that God has called you to? Who's praying for you? Who's brainstorming creatively with you? Maybe you need an evangelist, someone with an evangelistic gift and they just throw out a bunch of ideas to you, you know? <clears throat> um, maybe going in together. I know a number of years ago, our life group we were in helped us throw a block party in our neighborhood. And uh, God did some really cool stuff through that block party to open up a whole bunch of relationships in our neighborhood, but it was our life group all pitching in to say, well, I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this, and God moved. We did another one of those uh, for Halloween in our life group. We just kind of did a neighborhood outreach, and just all the people were coming over, and we're going to meet a bunch of friends, and it's just a bunch of people in our life group saying, I'll bring this, and I'll bring this, and I'll bring this. God wants to raise up teams in our life groups and beyond working together to, that are dreaming and brainstorming creatively seeing God's kingdom come.
Now, last groups I want to look at in the last minutes here, just quickly, were the crowds and the religious leaders, the scribes. What we learn from the crowds and the, and the homeowners is that seeing lives change means we're willing to be inconvenienced. Now, these people probably like their Jesus teaching done in a certain way. They had preferences. They've been listening to the Jesus podcasts. <clears throat> and they'd even maybe been listening to some other, you know, rabbi podcasts. And they had a, a firm taste on the type of sermon they liked. <clears throat> you know, they had maybe a preference, which probably wasn't being met with the crowdedness, but a preference on about the size of group they preferred. They had a preference of, you know, not smelling B.O. everywhere around them when they're listening to the Jesus message. You know, they had a preference of having the roof stay intact, uh, wherever they were meeting together, right? And probably most of those preferences were completely destroyed in this, right? The homeowner probably had a preference to say, I hope my house doesn't get destroyed when we have this Jesus revival here, right? And um, you can imagine, you know, all their preferences, and, and all of a sudden, some dust is falling down there, like, what, what is this, you know? And all of a sudden, someone gets hit with a chunk of something on their head, you know? And, and this eloquent sermon, you know, was just all of a sudden interrupted. And, uh, you know, this, this, this house, all of a sudden there's light shining down and their eyes are hurting, you know, and, and the homeowner's like, ooh, ooh, wonder what the bill's going to be on that, you know? And uh, they were inconvenienced. But I love the response after this all goes down. It wasn't, oh, that was so frustrating because it's this was this was my church and it just became something else the response was worship the response was i want to be part of the mission of god even if it means all my preferences are screwed up and what this means for us is that our preferences about how church goes or about the type of people we do community with. Our preferences about our life group and wanting the perfect environment where all the ducks are lined up, so I want to share whatever. And we want to create those environments that people feel safe and comfortable, you know, so, so we want to take that into account as well. But, but maybe our preferences uh, that we have on our opinions about being right on how church should be done or our political opinions, whatever, you know, what we learned from the religious leaders is that they were more committed to being right than to reaching people. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have theological or even political convictions. Because did Jesus, um, did Jesus lay aside his convictions to reach people? No, he didn't. He contextualized them in love and was willing to be inconvenienced and cross cultural, ethnic, and all kinds of other boundaries to reach people. And what that means for us if we're going to be like Jesus is that we are willing to shut up at times about our political preferences and on social media at times because we need to realize that are we first, and, and listen, there's a place for that, but... <clears throat> We need to realize that people are watching and listening and wondering if they're seeing Jesus in us or some other kind of agenda in this. That ultimately our lives are not our own and there's a world who's hurting, looking on and say, can I trust the church in this time? Is the church going to be a beacon of hope and a way forward in a divided time? Or is the church going to sound just like the world and look just like the world and cause more pain and hatred and division in my life. And if so, I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be lowered by them. <clears throat> right? Because the paralytic ultimately had to put himself in the trust of people to be lowered. That's a risk. <clears throat> and anyone that walks in this door who's not yet a part of this fellowship, that's a risk for them. And what that means is we need to be willing to be hospitable to the outsider. That word hospitable means love for the outsider. <clears throat> We step towards people that are different than us. We step towards people whose, whose pain might inconvenience us. 
We aren't first to judge someone that's different than us, but we're first to ask questions and listen to their story because there's typically a reason that people are the way they are. There's typically a reason that people vote the way they vote. There's typically a reason that people's experiences are the way they are, right? And what compassion does and what Jesus does is lay aside preferences to step in without laying aside conviction. And the response was that it's worth it. Now, you have the religious people here who weren't willing to do that. And not only were there preferences that weren't laid aside, a blockade to their own hearts, but they were directly opposing the mission of God. And I want us to have an honest look, and I'll be honest with myself. There's times where the longer I've gotten to be a Christian, because, man, when I first got saved, I got saved by the world, I had compassion for everyone. And there's been times along the way that just through everything political and everything, I've been like, what is that idiot thinking? And I want to give an earful to that person, right? And how could they be so messed up and so broken that they would say that? Well, they need Jesus, but it ain't coming through my compassion, you know? Someone needs to pray for them, right? I find my heart drifting towards that. And I've had some honest moments, and even as a pastor, I'm like, man, my heart is opposed to the mission of God right now. Because I'm looking through human lenses and using human judgment on people that are made by God. And so I want to be a part of people that, a, a part of the group that when people's lives begin to get transformed, because I believe we're about to step in an exciting season as a church. It's been a long winter. I'm aware of that. If you've been around with COVID and everything else going on, we had a lot of people move out of state and different things. It's been a long winter, but I believe we're stepping into an exciting springtime where we're going to begin to see God moving in some exciting ways in people's lives. But I want to be a people that are not opposing what God wants to do in this church, but stepping into it and saying, Whatever it takes, I'll lay it aside because we want a diverse, multi-ethnic group of people, not just because we want to be multi-ethnic, but because we want to reach all people. So, um, I don't have time to share the story I was going to share. But, uh, (laughs) so just a couple questions for reflection. Um, Who do you relate to in this story? What might becoming a whatever-it-takes person look like in this season? And again, I, <clears throat> um, I'm excited. My, my hope is that some of our life groups look a little more like urgent care units than country clubs. Right? And by the way, I've taken a number of ER trips with the kids. It's awkward in there sometimes. People are like moaning, like behind the, like there's like separate by these little curtains and it's like, and I'm like, what's going on? You good in there? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like and, and everyone's doing something because people are in need, right? And everyone's like, oh, I, I better do it. I, even for me, I'm like, this guy's moaning. Do you, need, do you need me to do something? Do you need me to get something for this person, right? There's some, some weird things that happen there. Bless all the healthcare workers, by the way. Thank you guys uh, for what you guys do, right? And so, so my hope is that we're willing to um, at times have our church or our groups look a little more like a, a care unit, right, than, than um, just what our preferences comfort. And so, so, so who do you relate to? Maybe for some of us, we are the, um, <clears throat> the friends. And maybe that's a lot of us. And, and how do we step towards that? Maybe for some of us, we, we, we tend to relate to the scribes right now. And again, I, I'm preaching to myself. There's been places in my heart this last year I had to repent for some frustrations that have built up for different groups of people in our culture, different groups of people in our world, different groups of people in the Big C Church. I've had to repent of some things because I began to get a little bit like a scribe. So maybe some of us need to deal with our heart. Maybe some of us are the paralytic. Some of us, we need to be carried to the help we need. We need to be willing to to come to our life group or come to the church or come to people in our lives and say, I I don't know the way forward. I'm in pain and I'm frustrated and I'm hurting and I kind of want to hit someone right now, but, but I need help and I don't know what to do. 
And what that means is that we need to lay aside our pride and willing to be helped and, and even be willing to hear the hard things sometimes from people in community to have hard conversations. And I'm thankful for the people in my life that have said, dude, you need to care for your wife. Dude, what are you doing? Wake up here, Mark. You know, we need that when done in love, you know? And so some of us, maybe we need compassion. We need empathy. We need care. Some of us were the paralytic. Some of us were the paralytic because we, we've never met Jesus. We don't know Jesus. And some of you, for the first time today, you need to put your faith in Christ and be forgiven and start a new day. If that's you, you can call upon the name of Jesus with us today and have your sins forgiven and start a new life today. And for the most of us, what it might it mean to become a whatever it takes person? We'll just sit in that for a minute. Just want to invite you if you need prayer for anything at all. Maybe it's because you feel like a paralytic, or maybe it's just, I'm doing good, but I got this little thing in my life and I want some prayer or whatever. I just want to be known or need a word from the Lord. We'd love to leaders pray for you. Again, maybe some of us need to to repent for something in our heart that has blocked us from the mission of God. And maybe some of us we need to take a step of faith. And Lord, I just pray now for a holy creativity, a holy compassion, a holy commitment, a holy desperation. Lord, because remind us that there's one thing we cannot do in eternity, and that's bring people to you. And so, Lord, help us in this short life to use what we have, our van, our finances, our whatever, our vehicle, our home, uh, our, our whatever, to, to creatively make spaces where people that we love can encounter your love. So I pray for a holy creativity in our midst. Help us, the all of us that are extremely busy, help us to be creative with the small margins of time we have. Help us to know how to use what we have more effectively. So let's just respond in song. Like I said, if you need prayer for anything, that's great. If you just need to come to the front, just get before God. Come to the front. We'd love to have some people pray over you up here as well. Uh, but we're just gonna we're gonna respond and worship Jesus in whatever way we need to respond.